0: Well, good morning again, church. So good to see every single one of you. Glad that you are part of things this morning. Again, want to welcome those online as well as our first-time guests. Uh, I just got to say this, in first service, uh, we had Next Step class this morning. We had like 40 people join us for Next Step class. And so I just mentioned, if you've never attended, make sure you jump in for Next Step. Uh, It's a great experience for you. But uh, before we dive into the message, I want to just double down on something uh, that Jordan just shared with you, talking about the opportunity uh, with faculty from Pillar Seminary coming in. Here's something that I find, he he mentioned it, but regularly I have people come talk to me and just like, man, I would love to read the Bible. I just don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. And I'm sure all of us have felt that. But here's another challenge that we have is a lot of us read Bible stories and we think we know what it means. And we actually have totally missed the point of what it was about. And uh, we can do that really easily if we don't know what we're supposed to be looking for. And so that's what this class is about. It's about understanding Bible stories and how are we supposed to view them through the lens of Scripture as a whole and all those things. And so I would not just encourage you, but I would challenge you. Uh, to join us for that, to get signed up for that opportunity. It's just one morning, but an investment of three hours, you know, in two weeks here in the morning could literally change the way you look at Scripture for the rest of your life and help you better follow Christ and and what He really has intended for us in our lives, all right? So I encourage you to make sure you get registered for that, all right? Well, last Sunday, if you missed it, uh, we had Vision Sunday. And uh, we talk about the core of who we are as a church. And so first off, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and watch that. Uh, online or listen to the podcast to make sure you know where we're heading uh, this year. Uh, but one of the things we did is we, we kind of come back to who God has called us to be as a church. And one of the things that I shared was our, our uh, uh, core values as a church, what those are. And so if you missed us last week, there's three uh, things that we say around here. We say we are gospel-centered, we embrace the struggle, and we are the church. And although we talked about what they were last week, the question still is, well, why... ...are those things that are important. Why do we value those? And how do we go about actually living those things out? Like, what does this matter? And, and so kicking off today and for the next three weeks, uh, we've got a series that we've just entitled Core... ...is we're going to dig further into these ideas. And, and we're going to look at Scripture and say, okay, well, why does this matter? And then how do we actually live this? Beyond just a cute little statement that we say as a value... Why is that? Both individually, like how do we live this thing out, but also how do we live this thing out together as a body of Christ? And I believe God's going to challenge us through this. And if we could get, these are really simple statements. They're simple truth, but if we could grab hold of them, I guarantee you it could change the trajectory of our lives. But we've got to have open hearts. we got to open hears, ears to actually listen to what God is speaking to us. So today I'm going to talk about the very first one, of being gospel-centered. Next Sunday, you don't want to miss... Because the one and only, the Amber Lynns, is gonna be preaching next week. And she is gonna be sharing, We Embrace the Struggle. And uh, this time, she has time to prepare, and she won't be wearing a Mrs. Claus costume. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you weren't here on December 18th, where she had to last minute fill in for me and cover my butt a little bit. But uh, we're grateful for her. She's gonna bring a powerful message next week, okay? Uh, if you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, uh, we kicked off the uh, New Testament reading plan last Sunday. A whole new reading plan for this year. As a, just about a chapter a day, three minutes a day, you can read through the whole New Testament this year. And so if you haven't already jumped in, I challenge you to do that. You can go to our website, go to our app. The link is right there. It says reading plan. Click on it. You can join the U version plan or you can join just the, the paper reading plan and, and follow along. But we'd love to have you join in that. Would you stand with me? So we're going to read our primary text. This is one of our traditions around here. Nothing sacred just to say, God, we honor your words more than my words. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us today, God. And we're going to talk about something that's fundamental to following Christ. But, God, I, I pray today that that it would go beyond just a head understanding. But, God, that once again you give us fresh revelation for what does the gospel really mean? And what does the gospel really desire to do in our hearts and our lives, Lord? So God, speak to us today. We open our ears, we open our hearts, we give you our attention. We pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen. Amen, you may be seated. Well, uh, some of you might be accused, uh, as I am at times, but how many out there occasionally might be accused of being a little OCD in, in certain areas in your life? Okay? So let's just have that a little. I, I get accused that way. How many out there are the clean freaks? We're the clean freaks. You're just the kind of the people that drive us crazy a little bit. You drive us crazy uh, just a little bit. <laughs> we love you. We love you because the world would be dirtier without you, right? But, but some of you, that, that's what happens. How many of you a uh, little OCD when it comes to your hands? Like you got to wash your hands a little more often. Like some of you, like, some of you, you're you not raising, you're pointing at the people next to you right now. I'm seeing that happen. Like some of, I'm in that way, I don't like it when my hands are grimy right now, you know? After Sundays, you know what I say? I say I need to go wash the fellowship off my hands. That's what I do after a Sunday. Like I love shaking your hand, but I got to go wash that off now, okay? All right, but th- there's something that I have an issue with, and maybe some of you can relate to this is that uh, I'm a little OCD when it comes to pictures that are hung on a wall. You know what I'm talking about? You ever walk in, it doesn't matter where I'm at, it doesn't have to be my house, somebody else's house, wherever. You walk in and the picture is just like, just a little bit, you know? Like in my own house, I'm constantly just correcting the pictures. But in public, I will go fix other people's pictures because it drives me nuts a little bit. I'm like, somebody, can we balance this thing out? Like it's it's just like nails on a chalkboard when I have to see that. But it's not just the level of a picture, it's what pictures get centered on. Because I'm convinced there are some people that just randomly throw nails into walls and just hang set with no thoughts where that picture was supposed to go. Right? you got to center it on something. You know, center it on the wall. Center it on the couch. You know, center it in the gap. Whatever. But please, do it on purpose. Don't just randomly throw pictures on the wall. It drives me a little crazy. It just messes with my little OCD mind here a little bit. Okay? But if you don't center pictures well, and if that's your issue, that's fine, you know. The only issue, the only real problem we're going to have is that it might drive me a little crazy, okay. But there's other areas in our life where centering things is more important. Think about when you sit on a chair. If you don't center your weight on a chair appropriately, you'll actually fall over. How many of you are tippers, like you like to get on chairs and just tip back onto the back two chairs, some of you are doing that, right? You're the ones who drive the moms crazy, right? The moms are like, get down, you're going to crack your head open, right? But if you've ever done it, even if you're not a tipper, you've done it before. We've all done that, right? You, you're on the back. You know that moment when you go just a little too far and like that feeling in your stomach, like, oh, oh gosh, I am mean, you're grabbing onto whatever you can so you don't tip over. Why? Because how you center your weight matters in that moment. Same thing is true in a car. You drive a car. Except when it comes to a car, what you center on is a matter of life or death. Imagine you're on a two-lane highway, right? You know, like, as long as you center in your lane, you should be okay. But if you decide, I'm going to center myself right on the center line, doesn't that feel good? Right? You could kill yourself and somebody else. What you center on matters. And I would say this, what you center your life on matters. In our world, what do most people center their lives on? I mean, think about it. If you're just like, what do you center on? Uh, people might center their life on family. They might center it on their career. They center it on just some of their desires and their thoughts and all those kind of things. But if I, if I go down to the core, if you dig real deep, I think most of us on planet Earth, we center on self. Self. What do I want? What do I think? What do I desire? And my favorite? What is my truth? As if truth is something you get to decide for yourself. We're all allowed an opinion. We're not allowed our own truth, Okay. That's just a reality, okay? But, but what I, I, I don't think any of us wants to admit is this reality of self is that, that if we're honest, we all fundamentally live in a self-centered way. I would say I'm not self-centered. No, I'm not self-centered. But we, we choose and we base our life so often about what do I want. But the challenge for us is that it's really, really easy for us to bring that self-centered mindset to our faith, where faith ultimately becomes about me. Even the way that we can present the gospel sometimes can be a little self-centered, I'm gonna be honest. Like, how do we pitch this thing a lot of times when we're talking about, hey, you want to come to Jesus? All right. God loves you. God wants good for you. He has a gift for you. Ask him into your heart. Now, everything I just said is true if understood in the proper context, but it's incomplete. And it can give us a skewed understanding of this thing. And it can actually connect to this self-centered mindset that's inherent in every single one of us. And then I get to our modern church, right? We're a part of that, the modern church. And I think the modern church has a genuine good intention when it comes to reaching lost people. Okay? We do. But here's what we have done very often in the modern churches in a desire to reach people who don't want anything to do with church. They think it's boring. They think it's stupid. They think it has nothing to do with my life. What have we done? We have turned the gospel, the good news, we've just turned it into to talking about practical issues and how God can practically help your life. Right? Like here, we we have sermons. Hey, hey, come in the Lord. Come to faith, and you can learn how to have a good marriage. You can learn how to be a better parent. You can learn how to be, you know, have better mental health, and you can have better all the stuff. Make your life a little bit better. Now, does following Jesus and obeying His ways lead us into some of these things? Yes, absolutely. But hear this: if we're not careful, we turn the good news of the gospel into good good advice for a better life. And it was never intended to be good advice. If we have these things, we seek after these things, unfortunately, these things, we make them the essence. They make them the thing that we pursue, but these are intended to be the fruit Of the gospel the fruit of this life not the root they're not the target they're not the thing that we should be focusing on no we are focusing on something else and when we make all of these things i want to have a better marriage i want to have better finances i want to be a better parent i want to be all these kind of things when we make those the target we are merely using god for our own purposes and when we do this who's really god all right so as a church we don't want to be self-centered what do we, we don't want to be that kind of place. And so we say this, we are gospel-centered. We are not centered on our gatherings, right? Like we, Gatherings are really important. We have gatherings. I'm so glad you guys showed up here. It would be really boring to preach with nobody in the room today. Glad you're here, okay? Gatherings are important. We're not centered on our gatherings. We're not centered on our facilities and our buildings. We love that we have, we're grateful for the buildings that we have. We're not centered on those things. We're not centered on our traditions, although we have a few traditions around here. But we don't center ourselves on our traditions. We center ourselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what we as a church are called to. But that is what we as individual followers of Christ are called to, that we would center our lives on that. Now, what does gospel actually mean? We can talk about gospel all you want to if you don't know what it means. The gospel, one way to understand gospel is this phrase, good news. Talk about it. It's good news. It's good news. How many of you... Try to avoid watching the news because mostly it's bad news. (laughs) Like, I don't like what, it makes me depressed when I watch the news. There's so much bad stuff going on. When it comes to the good news of the gospel, there's no good news until you actually accept some bad news. That's the starting point, actually. Now, what's the bad news? The bad news is we're sinners. That's the bad news. The bad news isn't we just got a little off somewhere. is isn't like, hey, we mess up every once in a while. The bad news is that we are sinners. Now, some of you probably don't call yourself a sinner. You're not like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sinner. That's not, I'm, I know I know some sinners, trust me. I know some sinners, but I'm not that bad. I, you know, I sin every once in a while, but you know. I'm. Apart from Christ, though, every single one of us, scripture says we are a sinner. Now, you might think you're okay, and I would think I'm okay, but uh, if God had, I know even on my best day, if God had some standard of holiness and perfection, I know that I would never line up to it. How do I know that? Because I struggle to keep the speed limit. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I can't even keep the speed limit, let alone God's view of perfection in the world. Like, I can't, I can't do that. All right? And so we have to recognize that that's the starting point for every single one of us. And it began back with Adam and Eve in the garden. They said, God, we want to do our things our own way. What did they want to do? They were self centered in that they decided this is what i want and we've been rebels ever since what does it say in romans chapter 3 23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of god it goes on in six twenty-three, and it says this for the wages of sin what we earn because of our sin is death and that death leads to what hell that's what scripture teaches that's not politically correct nobody really wants to talk about that but that's what scripture teaches and so this is really really bad news <laughs> Like, why, do, why don't we lead with this? Because it's not fun to talk about always. But you can't even get to the good news until you've accepted the bad news. Until you've acknowledged that, you know what? I agree, God. This is sin. Until I get to that point, there is no good news for you. Now, I said that this gospel means good news. But if you go literally to the word, the original Greek word, it's, it's euangelion. How many of you, you just use that word all the time in your life, right? Euangelion. You're just throwing that one around like no big deal. Okay, but does it? it? It's a compound word. It's a Greek word. It's a compound word. And it literally means good announcement. Good announcement. When would that word euangelion be used? If there was a new emperor, new king, new Caesar, you know what happened? They would send out the gospel they would send out the good announcement this proclamation that there is a new king on the throne there is a new caesar and guess what when there's that new caesar everything now changes everything is upended and there's a whole new way of doing things because there is a new king who is in charge thus when we come to the gospel and we declare the gospel what are we saying there is a new king And I'm going to give you some pictures here this morning to help you understand the gospel. The first line I want to give you is just this one right here. When we proclaim Jesus is Lord, this is what we're saying. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over all. He is king over all. All things are underneath of him. And when there's a new king, when the good news of the gospel, the good announcement, this proclamation goes out that this Jesus is king of all, guess what? He has a kingdom underneath of him and guess what we get to be invited into that and in his kingdom there's a whole new way of living if you were here back in the fall we did a kingdom living series as we walked through the sermon on the mount and what did jesus say hey listen in my kingdom we do things different out there in the world it's dog eat dog you're all about yourself let's just fight our way to the top in my kingdom you fight your way to the bottom you're here how can i serve how can i lay my life down for someone else the last shall be first the first shall be last it's a totally different way of living That's what it looks like under his authority inside of his kingdom. And every one of us has been invited. The good news is, listen, you are being invited into this kingdom. You don't deserve it. You're a sinner. But guess what? I'm going to do something to give you opportunity to step into my kingdom. Now, there's a few uh, pictures, other pictures that I want to give you here this morning because there is a story that relates to the gospel as well. We've got the story of the gospel. What what has taken place? Because something has happened. And we begin with this. Jesus came. Jesus came. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the starting point. See, we serve a God, and you're going to see this for the first two symbols here, that part of the good news of the gospel isn't just that something happened. Part of the good news of the gospel is who God is. He is the good news, right? Because God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't see us in our brokenness and our fallenness and say, figure it out. Go figure this one out on your own. No, he said, I'll draw near to you. I will come near to you. And it's good news for all of us because we all go through times in our life where we feel alone, we feel isolated, we feel like nobody cares about us. But what did they say? Back in the, at Christmas time? we it. we said, he is Emmanuel, God with us. So whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, you can be confident there is a God of the universe who loves you intimately and he will be with you. He will walk near you no matter what you face. That's good news. So wherever you are, you never have to have this feeling, oh, no, this God, he doesn't want to be near. No, no, no. He left the beauties of heaven to come near to us. There is no greater gap in all of the universe than the glory of God stepping down and becoming an, a helpless baby. And that's what he did for us. That's the gospel. But we get to the second image. Jesus came, but Jesus died. It's the cross. See, in the cross, Jesus dealt With our sin. See, we're sinners, and we desperately need someone to pay the penalty and to overcome our sin. And that's what took place on the cross. He took our sin upon himself. And a lot of times we throw around the word that God is love. Well, the best way to view that, the the most clear picture of God's love, is the cross. If you know what a crucifixion's like, it's disgusting, it's horrible. And Jesus said, You know what? My love for you is so deep. Some of, us, some of you need to hear this, because there's moments where you question whether God could still love you, because of what you've done or where you've been, or how, what you've got in your, your skeletons in your closets, you need to hear this. He will do anything to demonstrate His love for you. He went to a cross. On behalf of the Apostle Paul talks about it this way. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who he is. And when we look at the cross, it is the most vivid expression of the love of God. He is the gospel. The good news is who our God is. A self-sacrificing, lay it down for the sake of another. That's who our God is. But he overcame sin, but it didn't end there because Jesus died, but Jesus rose. And this is the center of the good news. See, without this, everything we call Christianity, you might as well throw it out. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul said. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, all your faith is pointless. Like, why are we doing this thing? If Jesus just went to a cross and died for our sin, but he stayed dead in a grave, it doesn't matter. Our, our sin is still never been dealt with. But he didn't stay dead in a grave. He didn't just die for our sin. He overcame sin, death, and the grave by raising again. That's the good, good news. And because he rose again, because resurrection is possible, it says that that's possible for us. So no matter what you're walking through and where you have been, God can give you new life. That's the gospel. There is life abundant available to you if you will open your heart and allow him to do something new inside of you. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose. And Jesus ascended. Now some of you are like, I didn't, I didn't know that part of the story. After he rose from the dead, it says that Jesus ascended into heaven, but he gave us a promise. He said, listen, it's better that I leave. Like, it's better that I leave. Why? Because if I leave, then I can send the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens? Here's the good news. Guess what? I'll put my spirit in you. And you know how you struggle to live out the commandments that I've given you? Guess what? I will put my spirit. I will write it in your heart. I will give you my spirit so that you can do things you could never do on your own. It's not just like I'm going to grip my teeth and try to, try to hold on. No, no. I have the Holy Spirit of God inside of me, giving me new life, giving me power to overcome things that I could never overcome on my own. And some of us need to be reminded of that because we keep living and going back to the ways. I keep doing that, going back to the old ways and say, no, I have the Spirit of God inside of me. I don't have to live that way anymore. I have hope. There is good news for me today, not just back then, right? It's available for us. He said he put his spirit in us, and so we kinda, we're kind of right about here. But there's a day that's coming, right, when Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Again, this is one that a lot of times we don't talk about this one. He says he's coming. He says, if I leave, I'm going to come back again, right, and when I come back, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He is coming as the conquering king. People miss the first time Jesus came. No one is going to miss the second time he comes, Okay. It is clear as day, there he is, the victorious Lord of all, the King of all, revealed to all of creation. That's the good news for us. And that we have been invited to come under his authority now. Everybody's going to come under his authority someday. You better do it now. Pick a time. Everybody's bowing their knees sometime. I'd rather bow my knee now, right? Say, God, you are in control. And so if we will receive all this, if we will trust in all this, there is salvation for us. There's hope for us. There's life for us. That's the good news of the gospel. But if you're like me, you can get to a point you look like, well, this is cute, Greg. I like your little pictures here. This is awesome. But we're in here somewhere, right? We're kind of hanging out in this area right now. I know you said that Jesus is in control right now, overall, you know, victorious, all those kind of things. But there's still a lot of evil in our world, isn't there? Like, we're still in a world that's, like, broken a lot of times. And, in fact, a lot of ways it feels like it's getting worse rather than getting better. Like, it's just feel like it's getting more chaotic. Like, how, how is this really the case? If he's really in control, right, like, I, I don't understand this, Greg. Well, when I think about this, it makes me think about football, all right? Okay, where are the Vikings fans at? Come on. Where are the Vikings fans? There you are. See, you're proud. You're proud this Sunday. We'll see you about next Sunday, you know? Okay, some of you are excited. Okay, now, that, there was the Vikings fans with that level. Okay, how many of you Vikings fans were just excited on Sunday night when the Packers got kicked out of the playoffs last week? Anybody? Have? Okay, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Packer fans are mad at me when I say that I'm a Bears fan and my Bears were the worst team in the NFL this year. So, so whatever, that's just how it goes, okay? But there was something that happened in the game last Sunday night that, that helps kind of understand what's taking place here. Because if you're watching the game on Sunday night, this is Packers-Lions. If the Packers lose, uh, they're kicked out of the playoffs. So the Lions, are, they just want to play spoilers. They're just trying to knock, knock the Packers out of the playoffs. And there was about a minute 15 left in the game, and it's fourth down. And they have a choice. The Lions can either kick a field goal, which would give them a lead, but the game wouldn't be over with yet. Right? Because there's still some time left on the clock. Instead, they decide to go for first, try to get a first down on fourth down, and they go for it. And they go for it with a minute 15 left, and they get the first down. And if you're watching the game, you see them. The Lions, they're going crazy. They're chest bumping. The fans are going crazy. The Packer fans are crying. Everybody is acting like the game is over. And if you don't know football, you're looking at the clock saying, there's still a minute 15 on the clock. Like the game's not over. Why is everybody acting like the game is over? You want to know why? Because the decisive blow had been laid. Although the clock still had to run, there was still some time left, the decisive blow was laid. The game was over. Packers couldn't get the ball again. It's over, folks. Like, that's where our hope, like, it's over. Guess what? The decisive blow has been laid, all right? It's over, folks. Like, Christ has overcome. He is victor over all. There is time left, he's invited us into that story until a future day that's coming. But it doesn't matter. The clock is running out because it is over, folks. He is who he said he is. He has invited us into his kingdom. That will last forever. Okay? That's what it's like. All right? So what does that mean for us as followers of Christ? This is why we can have hope no matter what we face as a believer. No matter what you face, you can have hope. Why? Because you know who's coming. You know your victor is on the throne. This is why we can have joy in the midst of pain and sorrow. Because this world is not our home, right? We're just passing through. There's another kingdom that has our allegiance. And it's children of God. And that's who you are. When you submit your life to Christ, you become a child. And my kids are not my kids because they've earned it, because they're so amazing. They're my kids because I've called them. And there's nothing they can do to to run away from that. The same way... We are called children of God. And with that comes an inheritance. First Peter says it this way. It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the gospel. That God has invited us into a story. He has invited us into his kingdom. He has invited us to experiencing something that is not just a temporary, but it is eternal. It's eternal Zoe life. It is being reborn. It is getting a new start. It's all the things we talk about. That's why this is good news. This is why it's something that should just pour out of our hearts. Because it isn't some stale old doctrine. It is living, breathing hope and life for every single person who's willing to respond to it. Okay. And so that's the gospel. But what does it mean to be gospel-centered? What does it look like to center our life on this reality? There's three things that I think are required. Number one, respond to the gospel. The story of the gospel and the, the power of the gospel is not something just to think about. It's something that we have to respond to. It isn't something that we can just know and then recite back to other people. We have to respond to the gospel. And there's three words when we talk about what does it look like? To, how do I respond to the gospel? Three words I think about. First one is this. To believe, believe, to believe the gospel, to believe God is who He said He is, to believe in Jesus, His death and His resurrection, that there's a level of trust and a confidence in that, that I'm gonna choose to believe. Okay? But there's a second word that's really important it's this repent. Repent. What is repentance? Number one, repentance is agreeing with God. So when we say we have sinned, we say we gotta start with the bad news. What's the bad news? I'm a sinner, I have sinned, Lord. And I agree with you that that is sin, that my sin is sin. I agree with you. But it's more than just agreeing, it's also turning. Saying, God, I'm going to turn away from that thing. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? Nope. None of us are perfect. But it says, God, I am, I am purposing in my heart to turn away. And when I fail, I'm going to turn again, right? I'm going to repent again. That's the heart that I have. So we have to believe we repent, but then there's a third word, and it's this. Submit. Submit. Remember I said this proclamation that Jesus is Lord. They would make this procl- You know, when you say that proclama- proclamation, it feels like, oh, that's, a, that's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is Lord. It's more than just that. It's more than a belief. Uh, it's a statement of uh, allegiance. So if you go into the Roman Empire, who, who was Lord? Caesar. Caesar's Lord. No other Lord but Caesar. Like he, and oftentimes he, you know, we use the phrase king of kings, lord of lords. Those phrases were associated to Caesar. And so when we talk about that way, about Jesus, it isn't just saying, oh, Jesus, I believe in you. No, it says, Jesus, you're in charge. Jesus, you are Lord. It is my allegiance is to you. My allegiance isn't to some president. It's not to some other. It's not even to some other leader. My allegiance is to you. And when I say, Jesus, you're Lord, that means you get the the power of decision-making in my life. Like you get to call the shots in my own life. Which really meddles with us because we all want to be like, I'm self-centered. I want to do things my way. But when I follow Jesus, I say, no, nope. God, I submit even what I want. I submit it to you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to enter his kingdom, to submit to his ways. That's how we, the only way we can respond to the gospel is what did Jesus say? Pick up your cross and follow me. Right? Pick up your cross, follow me. So number one, we've got to respond to the gospel. But number two is this, we have to allow the gospel to transform you. Allow the gospel to transform you. See, this salvation is not a moment. I say it all the time, it's not just a moment, it's a journey that we're on. And God has said, listen, I will put my spirit in you, but you have to allow the spirit to transform you. Because sometimes God's put his spirit in us and we're just keep walking back to the garbage heap. We just keep doing everything that we've always done. But if we're truly gonna be gospel-centered people, then we have to be those who constantly come before our savior and say, all right, God, what do you need to do and be still? Where, where do you still want to transform me? How do you still need to transform the way I think? That's why we go to scripture over and over again. God, would you renew my mind here as, as I go into scripture, as I, as I see things as you see them, as I think as you think? Help me to understand that. Would you change my beliefs? Would you change the way that I think about those things? Would you transform my relationships or my priorities? Would you transform my morality? And ultimately, would you transform my desires, even the core things that I want? Would you do that in me? As we submit our hearts over and over to the spirit, as we submit to him, listen, the gospel has the power to bring absolute transformation to your life. And and here's what will always happen. As you'll get to a point where suddenly you stop caring about your kingdom so much and you start being concerned with his kingdom. So that's one of the, the biggest indicators of a mature believer is when you care more about what God's got going on than what you got going on. Around here, we we said we got our kingdom builders is our above and beyond giving. It's above the tithe giving. It's the extravagant giving. It's the the giving that's, that's over the top. And so I just say, that's stupid. Why would you do that? How foolish. To give your money to people you don't know in countries you'll never go to. Why would you do that? You should use that for yourself. But when you're transformed by the gospel... And you understand that you're not just giving money, that you are actually helping people respond to the gospel, to hear the hope and the good news that you've already experienced. That's something not that you have to do. It's something you desire to do. Why? Because you recognize that this life is not about me. It's about his kingdom. I'm here to serve his kingdom from now till eternity. It transforms us a little bit, all right? And so just remember, next week, we're gonna be talking about kingdom builders and uh, taking faith uh, pledges toward that faith commitments. And so I encourage you to, To be here next week as we talk a little bit about that Um, but the last thing we say we respond to the gospel Two, we allow the gospel to transform you but three share the gospel to share the gospel we don't call it just a good idea we call it good news and how many know good news is something you want to talk about (laughs) you know this you get good news like somebody tells you you're pregnant or somebody tells you something really exciting what do you do you're like okay okay who can I think of that doesn't know any of these people but I could go tell? So I could just like, get the release out a little bit, right? i got to tell somebody. I want to tell somebody. And that's how it should be. With, if, if the gospel is really as good as we think it is, right, if the gospel is really what, what God has said it is, then it should be something that we naturally want to share. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, God, do we really, do we really have your revelation of your gospel? Do we really see the gospel for what it is? Cause I, and God, if it's become stale in our hearts, and maybe you need to pray this, God, it's possible the gospel has become stale. I came to faith 25 years ago, and back then I was really passionate because I was broken and lost and all those kind of things, but I kind of got my stuff together. I kind of cleaned myself up a little bit. The gospel isn't as raw as it used to be. If that's where you've gotten to, then maybe God would say, hey, would you put your heart before me again? Is that something I need to God? Would I put my heart before you again and, and have fresh revelation of what you've done, the fact that you have rescued and saved me? And God, would I be one who wants to share that story with others? It says it this way in 2 in Corinthians. I want to go back to the passage that we looked at earlier where it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, you have committed your life to Christ. You are a follower of Christ. The new has come or the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. This is the good news of the gospel. Like he literally transforms you. He begins to do a new work inside of you. That's the good news. But it goes on because it doesn't end there. It says this. All this is from God. Remember, he's the one doing the work who reconciled us to himself. Remember, this isn't a me-centric, this is God-centric. He reconciled us to himself. That's where the gospel is focused, through Christ, and gave us, here this, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now this passage can get hijacked sometimes and talk about all these other types of reconciliations that need to take place those are all good things but this passage is about one thing and one thing alone it's about god reconciling a man to himself in christ and giving us the mandate to say as followers of jesus you have a calling as well. And what is that? To take that message of God's work and bring it to the world around you, to the family around you, to the friends that you know, whoever it is. In what way can you share this gospel with those around you? Every one of us. Every one of us call to that. So I'm going to get to the big so what? So what? Right, if you forget everything else that I've shared this morning, one thing I want you to understand is this. Is that God, a gospel-centered life is an others-focused life. A gospel centered life is an others focused life. See, this is the opposite of what we experience in our world. We get very self centered and we get self focused. Everything is about here. But when we center our lives on the gospel, the natural outcome of that is that suddenly we start to focus on somebody other than ourselves. What did Jesus say? I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for others. And so if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, which a follower of Jesus should look more and more like Jesus, then our natural response is we should suddenly become people who stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about the people around us. How can I care? How can I love you? How can I serve you? And ultimately, how can I point you to Christ and lead you to the same hope that I've experienced in my life? That's the invitation that we all have. That's the challenge that we've all been given. In fact, the passage, if you go on, it says this. It says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is not there um, to go to another land to try and become like the land they go to. If I'm, I'm the ambassador to England, I'm an ambassador to France, what is my job? My job is to take the values and the the passion all the things that matter from America and I go and kind of have a little moment of American kingdom here in the midst of France or whatever country I'm an ambassador for. And I don't speak anything of my own accord. All that I do is I speak what my president and what my country back there, what they have to say, what's important to them, that's the only thing I say. My opinion doesn't matter at this point. I'm here as an ambassador of that kingdom. And so God has invited us to say, hey, that's our calling. Like we are Christ's ambassadors, put into a, a world that desperately needs hope. And our job is to, how can we be those who represent Christ well? A gospel-centered life is another's focused life. I went to a funeral on Thursday night and, uh, or Thursday morning. And it was, uh, some of you might know a guy named Roger Lane. He's a pastor, uh, local guy that I've, I've known for probably 20 years And um, Roger, fun guy, super fun, he was kind of one of those guys, make funny jokes, all that kind of stuff. And how many know when you go to a funeral, um, everybody seems like Mother Teresa at a funeral? Like, because nobody ever says any bad things about people at funerals, you only say all the good stuff, right? And Roger was crazy, he would do funny things, like it was was great. Roger was far from perfect, just like every single one of us. But the thing that came out over and over again, I loved because it was 100% true, is that Roger... He was a gospel-centered life. Why? Because he was extremely others-focused. Like everything he did, he cared about the other. If you had a conversation with Roger, you wouldn't be talking about him. You would be talking about you because he would care about you. And if he found out something that you were doing, something that you were working toward, he would start thinking, how can I help you be successful? How can I cheer you on in that thing that you've got going on? Because he cared about other people. He saw that as part of his mandate as a follower of Christ, is that I'm here to build other people up. I'm not here to have myself built up. I want to build other people up. But he was also passionate about evangelism. He wanted other people to know Christ. And so he would share with as many people as possible who this is. I remember at the, you know, he was an older dude at the time. He was probably 65 at the time. At that time, like, ah, oh, I, can, I can phone it in. I'm, I'm done. I've served. I've been a pastor, all these kind of things. No, he went and bought a little uh, fire pit thing that he would put in his, not in his backyard. He put it on his front driveway. So that way when people would walk down from the street, you know, take walks, or whatever. He'd say, hey, you want to come sit down by the fire? So he could build a relationship and hopefully lead. Somebody to Christ. And uh, at the end of his life, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he was uh, put into hospice. And they invited, they told the story when um, the two hospice workers, the new workers came to meet the very first time. You know, he wasn't looking good; he was looking awful already. I mean, I, I saw the guy, I man; he was looking rough. And uh, he he said, "Hey, ladies, could you could you could you come here? Would would it be okay if I prayed over you? Just prayed a blessing over you." You know, he's the guy that's supposed to be getting served, right? And he he's, takes their hands and he just prays a blessing over them for what they're doing and how they're caring for him and the work that they do for other people and what they're going to do in his life. And the kids were telling the story and they said that, that when they open their eyes, they look at these two nurses and they're just bawling, just tears flowing down. Why? Because he should have been the one thinking about himself, but he wasn't. He was caring about someone else. That's what a Christ follower does, that's the mandate that we've been given. That's the privilege. And doesn't that, when I tell you that story, most of you are like, oh, that's so beautiful. Why? Because selfless lives are beautiful. <laughs> They're aspirational. Like, we desire that. Like, that's a good thing. And it said at the end of his life that he kept telling them, can you invite the neighbors, make sure the neighbors could come? Why? Because I want to have one last chance to lead one of these people to Christ. Like, to the end of his life, saying, God, how can, I, how can I use everything that you've given me to ultimately serve others and to point them to you? And the challenge for us as followers of Christ, is, God, would you put that heart in us? If that heart's gotten a little bit cold, and I know it can at times, God, would you reignite that passion in my heart again for the gospel? The reality of what you've done in my life and the reality of what you are calling me and inviting me into, that I'm not invited into a church experience or a religious organization. I've been invited into the kingdom of God to be a part of it, both here locally as well as all around the world. God, you've invited us to that. Could we live that way, God? Would you help us? God, we repent that sometimes we don't live that way. And this morning, we want to turn back to you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Some of you may just need to respond to the gospel, fresh and new, maybe for the very first time. Others of you, um, maybe there's an area in your life of, that you know God has been calling you to experience transformation because you got some junk in your life and you say, I've been just ignoring his voice. Maybe this morning is the opportunity for you to surrender that to him. For the rest of us, I would just pray, God, who in our world, who in our life are you calling us to share the gospel with? Who who have you put in our life that we could be building that relationship with the express intent to say, God, I want them to know Christ. I want them to know, I'm not using the relationship, but God, I want them to know the same hope that I've had. All right. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you, um, you have done all the things that matter. You're the one that came. You're the one that died. You're the one that, Overcame death, sin, and darkness, Lord, you, you are the one who did that and you're inviting us to just respond. And I pray, God, for every one of us, Lord, that we would take that step. Maybe some of us need to for the very first time, but there may be some of us that it's been a long time and they, we need to come back to faith in Christ. We need to surrender our hearts again to Christ. God, I pray that this could be that day, this could be that moment when we begin a new journey of faith, a faithful commitment to you and to your kingdom not living our faith in a self-centered way, but living in a gospel-centered way where we are focused in a different direction, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bow and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and that's you, you would say, you know what? I need to respond to Jesus. Whether it's for the very first time uh, or whether it's uh, I need to recommit my heart to Christ, I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to do that real quick across the room. With every head bow and eye closed, would you just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me, Lord. I need to respond to Jesus right now. I need to surrender my life to Jesus right now. Yeah. Thank you Jesus Thank you Lord Thank you Lord If you're with us online You need to respond I encourage you to do so I encourage you to do so Would you just pray In your hearts right now God I thank you So much that you pursue me God that you have come after me I thank you for that Lord God I believe in Jesus I believe that he Died and rose again I believe he is victor Over all uh, God I, I repent of my sin I turn away from it I agree with what you say About it And I turn away from it and God, I submit my life to you completely. I ask that you would have your way in my world, in my life, Lord Jesus. I give my life to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In a moment, I'm going to give you some just a practical step to respond there. But I want to continue to respond for everybody else. If you're across the room, I would just invite you right where you're at, just to have a moment. I'm going to give you 30, 45 seconds to just pray. And to say, Holy Spirit, how do I need to respond? What does it look like for me to live in a gospel-centered way? And maybe God might speak to you some areas in your life that maybe need to experience some transformation where you've been operating in rebellion and you just need to lay some things down. Or maybe he might put a face on your, in your mind right now. Some, one of your friends, one of your coworkers that you need to begin praying for and praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with. I'm just gonna invite you to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. Give space for God to speak to your heart right now. God, would you speak to us?
1: So This world is dying to know who you are. You've us the way to your heart. So, Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God,
0: we just pray that a message like this wouldn't just fall on. Our ears and never get to our hearts but Lord I pray that we would respond this week that you would give us the wisdom to know what does it look like to live gospel-centered lives God when we wake up in the morning I pray that we would pray that Lord help us to live gospel-centered God that we would live lives surrender to you we would live lives transformed God we would live looking for opportunities to go and to share your hope with others Lord God I pray for any one of us that that just needed fresh fire Lord God we pray the wind of your spirit to just flow in our hearts freshly. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to give us a challenge as we walk out. Remember, last week for Vision Sunday, we said our, our vision this year is the word go, that we would see ourselves as a go. So it's great that we gathered, but now's when we go. And now's when we go into our world, and you go to your school, and you go to your workplaces, and say, God, how can you use me there? How can I bring your hope and your light there? So I want you to bring this challenge. Who is one person God might call you to share the gospel with this week? One person he might call you to. Have an open heart and a willingness to step in that God might speak you to step outside of your comfort zone this week and do something. And some of you are like, well, I don't, Greg, I can't articulate everything you said. Yeah, guess what? What's part of the gospel is your story. This is what God's done in my life. That's the gospel. It's good news. Share that with someone. All right. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward. If you need prayer this morning, would you come this way? Don't run that way. If you made a decision to follow Christ this morning, they're going to put the QR code up on the screen. I would just challenge you to scan this, respond to this. We'd love to be able to connect with you this week, okay? Have a great week. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday.